Hi, this is Matt Welsh with Spiritual Media Blog, and today I am here with Dr. Mandy Simon. Dr. Simon is an educator, researcher, clinician, entrepreneur, and radio show host of the Finding Your Holy Grail radio show. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for being here with us today. Matt, thank you. It's really nice to see you again. Yeah, this is uh, my pleasure, and it is such an honor to speak with you. Um, you know, first of all, one thing that really caught my attention about you is you actually worked on the front lines um, ser serving COVID patients. Mm -hmm. And first of all, thank you for your work with that. Um, and, you know, second of all, tell us about that. What were you doing? What mm -hmm. was that like? How did you manage that? Well, it was a really interesting circumstance. And for all of the listeners, this is actually when you and I met um, because of the work that I did on the series, which we'll get to um, as a result of COVID. But I have been living between the US and the UK for about three years and going back and forth. And um, because most of my life is in the UK, but I'm an American, I'm still... Um, certified and credentialed in the States as a clinician. And so I would travel back and forth. And I came off a of vacation uh, in Spain in March, on March 13th um, of 2020. And on March 17th, President Trump shut the doors to the United States. And I wow. had a flight from London to Philadelphia that morning. And I had had that flight scheduled long before the COVID uh, issues had even come up. Like I scheduled the flight way back in December for a clinical schedule that I had. And so Philadelphia was not a CDC checkpoint at that time. And I, and I went through there because I'm, I'm licensed in Delaware and I'm also licensed in Massachusetts. And uh, I went to this hospital and then I went to the urgent care clinics where I was working. And because of COVID, they started to shut them down and everything was going into the hospital and I was having to move uh, hotel rooms like every five days because hotels kept closing and then all the state lines kept closing except for frontline workers. And there's a hospital in Massachusetts that I've been credentialed at for over 10 years and the COVID cases were going up. And so I remember having this experience of finishing my clinical schedule, which was finishing a month early in Pennsylvania and Delaware, and then driving to uh, Boston, Massachusetts to work on the COVID only unit, which they were just opening up. And I'm not even sure the, the chronology of events anymore. It may have opened up after I got there to fill in for a doctor that I worked with for a couple of days. So long story short, it was this really crazy experience. And then I came to be in this scenario and it lasted for five and a half months. I lived in a hotel room. I worked on the front lines of the COVID only unit with our medical director. And we were the only two that took care of the patients on that unit. And, um, you know, everything was in real time and we had no idea what to expect. You know, we opened the unit for like one month and I was there for five and a half. Um, Boston was a place where I lived for 15 years and suddenly my friends wouldn't let me stay with them in their homes for obvious reasons. And I lived in a hotel wow. uh, and it was, it was this really 
surreal and amazing experience when I look back to seeing how the doors were closing when I was flying out of Spain into London, out of London into the United States, into Boston, and then having the doors of like my friends' houses close and like living in a hotel in a place that was my support system, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I can't imagine that. I mean, talk about just, you know, something we've never faced before having to just mm-hmm. confront um, just such a unique situation and challenge. I mean, what was it, what was it like for you going to work every day? Were, were you nervous or anxious? It's a very interesting and important question. Um, I don't get anxious. I, I, I think that this is something that doesn't happen for me. What I understand is that we all end up doing things in life that we're meant to be doing. And I understood based on this story about how I had been in five hotel rooms in 25 days, four countries in 30 days, that like I was meant to be there, right? And it was such a new and an unusual thing. And a lot of uh, the physicians that I worked with, like they had reasons of people at home, like they might've had young children or spouses with comorbid disease. So it was a really beneficial thing for me to be there because I was living in a hotel. I wasn't endangering other people at the time. And so I I didn't feel anxious about it. What I felt was, absolutely that the entire thing was completely surreal. Like I would wake up and I would say, I used to live in this city. I didn't live in this hotel in this city. I know people that live in this city. I've not seen the people that I know that live in this city. And then I'd get to the hospital and I'd see people I'd known for 10 years. And then all of a sudden my surroundings were familiar again. But then I'd go to the third floor that we had opened specifically for the COVID unit. And I would say, this used to be the brain injury unit. I used to see brain injured patients on this unit but now this is a restricted access. And there's, you know, there were all these rules, like we couldn't leave the floor for the whole day because we couldn't mix with the rest of the hospital. We needed to change our clothes and shower. And and so I just felt like I was moving between separate worlds to tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, when you say you felt like it was meant to be, what I hear is this almost felt like it was like a, a deeper calling or part of your just life or soul purpose. I mean, am I hearing that right? Yeah, I honestly, I feel like in the times that I've known that I was in the wrong place in the wrong time in my life, I've removed myself from that. So okay. when I was a very young girl growing up on the farm, when I was 15 and a half years old, I sat down at my mother's kitchen table and I said, I just want to let you know that I've made arrangements to move to Southern California to live with your mother and I'm taking my brother with me. And my mother just looked at me and she said, over my dead body. And it was such a, it was such a knowing that I had. And so, I mean, long story short, you know, when she attended my doctoral dissertation and she, she was sitting in the audience and we were thinking about things, I had written in my acknowledgments page how grateful I was 
to my parents for allowing me to go because no court in the United States would have emancipated me, right? It reads like fiction. Yeah. And, and so for me, when I look at things like this, I know that when I've been in the wrong place, in the wrong space in time, that I've been able to trust myself to know to move out of it, right? And and with this unit, I I realized I was supposed to be there. And I don't know if it was my higher calling or my higher purpose, but it was what I was meant to do at that time. Yeah. And it's given me a completely different perspective on the world. And I've done completely different things as a result of that experience than I think I otherwise would have done. And I'm really excited and happy about those things. So I don't know if that directly answers your question, but I think that it gives you an indication of what I was thinking. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I mean, yeah, again, it just seems like a, a trust that this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I'm just going to trust this, even if I don't know exactly why, but I just, it's an inner knowing that I can feel and, and, and trust. Yeah, the really difficult things about being on the unit was to understand you know, we never really understood what our risk was for contracting yeah. COVID. We never really, you know, the guidelines changed almost daily and definitely weekly from the departments of health and the institutes like the WHO and all of these places because it was such a fluid experience. Yeah. Um, and we were treating patients in a bubble without their families um, and people were very sick. And it was, it was this process of trying to figure out you know, meeting with the head of infectious disease from our hospital and having them talk to us about how we could potentially treat this uh, virus, how we, you know, all of these different things, there were, there were no gold standards in place. You know, when someone's having a cardiac arrest, you run through an algorithm and you know exactly what to do and you respond to that. And then you have a treatment plan and a, and a regimen. Um, and in this particular situation, you know, this was the front lines of something we'd never seen before. And so really understanding how to respond to the turns that happened with the patient's conditions and when they would be rather stable and then turn very unstable quite without um, without a whole lot of lead time or understanding of what was happening with that, that was an extremely challenging condition. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, just dealing with that uncertainty and the unknown. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's something that, again, you have um, gotten good at. I mean, even when you mentioned as a 15 year old, you yeah. told your mother you wanted to move to California. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that makes me curious. What was that about? Why did you decide to do that? And, and what was going on when you were 15 yeah. that sparked you to do that? Yeah, I think from my perspective, and I'm, and remember, I'm looking back on this with an adult brain. Yeah. I didn't really understand this as a child. But when I look back on this from an adult perspective, I essentially say, I just felt that if I stayed there, I would get stuck in life. And I would get so uh -huh. stuck in life that I wouldn't be able to do whatever it was that I was sent here to do. Uh -huh. And so what became an immediate focus for me was how do I remove myself from this environment and how do I make sure that I create whatever opportunity is coming for me um, in this process, right? 
Yeah, good good for you for doing that. I mean, that's not easy to do. I um I work, you know, as a therapist with a lot of people who feel stuck in life and they don't know what their purpose is and they don't know what to do next. You know, what would what would you say to someone out there who says, you know, I I don't really know what's next. I I feel stuck. I don't really have a lot of meaning and purpose, but I want to create that, but I don't know how to find that. I don't know how to I don't know what to do. This is such an important question, and I really appreciate you asking it. And it's what this comes down to from my perspective is that, firstly, the answer is that I've been doing this my whole life with people. And I I do this with my patients, and I did this with my students when I was working as an associate professor. And, um, and I do this with my personal coaching clients, and I do this with my friends. But I also do it with myself. And it's this question where when you ask yourself this type of thing, it's very useful to ask this question and say, if I don't actually respond to this inquiry that I have that came from within me at this moment, how does this impact my life five or 10 years from now? And the classic example of this is a 45 year old person who's contemplating getting a master's degree and says, yes, but I'll be 47 or 48 years old when I attain that degree. And, and my response to them is, and that's a problem. Why? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Because what we, what we are so conditioned to respond to is don't go outside that box. Yeah. Don't get uncomfortable, stay comfortable, stay safe. Yeah. And this is the most difficult aspect of what I think the post-pandemic world has brought to us. And, and so out of COVID, you know, one of the things that I did, which is how you and I met, is I ran this video series that focused on gathering 21 speakers from around the globe to talk about building resilience and living fearless. And And what it came down to is that I was standing inside the walls of a medical institution and I was saying, what do we do to help people not get stuck in the story about what they were capable of before the coronavirus came in and stopped their lives as they know it? That's great. Yeah. And that was the question that I responded to, right? But this was something where... I realized standing at that patient's bedside and not being able to save them in some circumstances that those answers were not coming from me and they were not coming from medicine and our gold standards because we were dealing with something that we've never dealt with as a civilization before. Yeah. Right. And so how, like you deal with these patients every day who have post-traumatic stress syndrome and we're living in a repetitive stress environment and in medicine, we're built for like short stress. You know, if there's a code called on the unit, you respond to the code. And then when that's over, you move on, but you're not under repetitive stress day in and day out. But that's what this globe is dealing with right now. Yeah, you're right. It is it is creating trauma responses and, and people are not meant to be, deal with that sort of stress um, for that long mm-hmm. So, I mean, good for you for trying to ask, you know, this question, you know, in your series, how can we build resilience? How can we not stay stuck in that 
um, mindset or mentality. It's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really admire and appreciate this this video series that you've created. I mean, tell us a, a little bit more about that. You um, you interviewed some of my favorite favorite authors. I mean, um, Dr. Joe Vitale. I, I read yeah. his books like ten years ago. He was he's great, and there's so many so many others. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, I know everyone you interviewed was probably amazing, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the people you spoke to and just their stories and what you mm-hmm. learned from them? Yeah, I think one of the most rewarding and exciting parts of this is that, you know, when I sent an email and you got the same email that they all got, right? Yeah. Is um, I sent an email to them and I just said, look, the world needs your story. And the truth is, is that the world needs all of our stories. And all of us have a story and all of us have the ability to crack open these pieces of our life that aren't working. The difference is that some people have been brave enough to recognize that their purpose here is to leave whatever their job was, leave whatever their profession was that they don't identify with on the inside that they're doing on the outside. I mean, we know you were a lawyer, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. and, and, and so you can, inc- you can relate to this on an incredibly personal and deep emotional level, you know, and I wasn't always a clinician and um, it's not the primary thing that I'm doing right now. And, and so in talking to these people, the, the most shared experience of their journeys was how, I mean, Joe Vitale is a really great example of this. Like the man used to be homeless and live yeah. in a car. And then he sort of figured out what the secret of life was by understanding more about what was inside of him and listening to that. And I think the biggest message that I that I focus on is that this is exactly what all of us have to offer in the world. We have this ability to be able to say, I have a voice and here's what I'd like to be able to say. And when we say these things, our lives change in such profound ways for the better. That's that's beautiful. And I think that is so empowering. And I think once people realize that the world does need to hear their story. They have something tremendously valued to offer the world that does shift their mindset and inspires them to take pretty massive action. Yeah. Um, but you yeah. know, I'm also I'm I'm also curious. You know, it's 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 hard for some people to to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a couple reasons. I think one, there's some practice at least perceived practical limitations, like people might feel like they need a job or financial support to support their life. And then there's some psychological issues where people just don't recognize the value of their voice or their story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious, could you maybe uh, you know address both, both of those? You know, If somebody yeah. comes to you and says like, I'm not happy with my job, I wanna change it, um, but I'm afraid that I'm gonna run out of money. And I'm afraid that I'm not going to have the money or work to to support my passion or deeper callings. Yeah. Firstly, this is something that every human being on the planet feels. Yeah. 
and this is something that they know. There are very few out there that have moved beyond that. This is something that we really all share in the modern world, and it is this need for safety, right? Yeah. And our need for safety is wrapped up in things like security and family and friends in ways that can be very difficult to pull apart. And so the one thing that I think we have to recognize is we have to ask ourselves this question that if you weren't to move forward, even with the smallest step today, where would that leave you five years from now? or one year from now? And would you feel differently about your choice as a result? And so oftentimes what we have to do is we have to emotionally connect to what is that vision of what it is that we wanna do? Because what we're dealing with is a conditioning of someone saying to us, you can't make any money as an artist. You know, when someone says to their son or their daughter or their niece or their nephew or their loved one, don't choose philosophy, choose law. What they're saying is, I love you so much that I want you to be financially secure in the world so that you can choose to do what you want. And yet what they're not understanding that that person is hearing is, you're not a philosopher, you're a lawyer. Yeah. And there's a really fine difference there. And so the thing that I think is important for us to recognize is that when these things come up, we have to ask ourselves in a non-judgmental way, what is the story that I've been telling myself about my life? And the way that we know that it's a story is because it's tied to the identity of what we do and who we are to other people, but not who we see ourselves as potentially being. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really well said. I mean, that's, um, I think you're right. It's um, number one, just acknowledging that need for safety, but then, you know, letting, letting them know, you know, what have you been telling yourself and then how is that different then, you know, the, the, the potential of, of who you could be or want to be and how would that feel emotionally? And then how would that feel if you didn't take that? You know, those are all very, very powerful lessons. And we feel so compromised each day because your question is quite important in terms of how would people start? And the truth is, I mean, both you and I have private clients and, and we both have patients. And so, you know, let me just use a patient example. And I, and I actually used this uh, example in one of my radio shows where I had this patient who had really bad osteoarthritis in their knees. They wanted to lose some weight and they couldn't really do a lot of exercise. And so I just asked them some basic questions. And the bottom line was, as I had a patient who drank coffee three times a day and put three teaspoons of sugar in their coffee Thanks. three times a day. So that's nine teaspoons of sugar. Yeah. So if you just do the math of like how many grams of sugar convert to how many pounds of weight, and then you cut the sugar out and you multiply by 365 days a year, it turns out it's 15 pounds. Wow. Okay. And so then if we recognize that sugar is like this thing that if on the third teaspoon of sugar of your first cup of coffee a day, you take and you flick the few 
the few granules of sugar off of it. And you do that with your second cup of coffee a day. And then you do it with your third cup of coffee a day. And then on the second day, you do it again and you flick twice instead of once. By the end of the year, you've slowly made a change that doesn't make you miss the sugar if you don't have an, an emotional attachment to the sugar, right? Yeah. So if it's that you're in the habit of doing this just because you saw your parents do it, then doing it the way I just described, you lose 15 pounds and you're not drinking sugar in your coffee by the end of the year. If instead you do it because you miss your parents and you're desperate to connect with them and you make your mm -hmm. coffee that way, then you need someone like you or me to have a conversation with them to be able to say there's an emotional connection here that without the sugar, they're still going to love you, right? Yeah. And so it's this understanding and this conscious awareness as we go through our day each and every day to understand that that sugar in the coffee was not their idea. It was a conditioned response from their family that this is how you make your coffee, and that when it came down to me helping them solve a problem 55 years later, this is how we could go about solving the problem. But then I needed to have some awareness about what was the little emotional piece that needed to unhook them, because these types of changes can happen. And it can happen with career. And it doesn't mean that we're asking you to jump off the precipice of your life and not have a safety net because it takes time for these things to change. But really the fundamental aspect is to connect ourselves to the vision of who we really understand ourselves either to already be in our heart and in our heads or who we would like to be. Yeah. And when we can do that, we have a starting point. And often we all need support with that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that support piece is, is big. I mean, we need somebody who can help us learn to believe in ourselves and give us that encouragement um, and sometimes some like practical tools and steps. Um, you, you've done a great job of, you know, giving some examples of your coaching. I mean, tell us a, a little bit more. I mean, what, what are some other issues that you help people out in your coaching practice? And, you know, mm -hmm. what are some common tips or strategies that you seem to provide? It's a really, I mean, it's a really interesting process because, you know, when you work with people, you have to meet them where they are. So I, so like yourself, I worked with people that have real traumatic circumstances and then people who have everyday circumstances, but we have to recognize that to, to those everyday circumstances through a child's eyes, it was traumatic. It was a traumatic experience when someone said to us at the age of six, you'll never amount to anything. Yeah. You are worthless, right? And, and so these pieces, you have to meet people where they are. Like I do have clients that have these pieces that they will eventually get to, but they don't want to go there today. They want to work on what we're working on right now. And, and we're all so unique and so valuable this way. And, and it really becomes a great responsibility for us to not, to not push people beyond where they can go at that moment. And you especially know this in your line of work, especially working at the VA, right? Yeah, I mean, that is so well said. And I think we could probably spend hours talking about this, yeah. but 
but you're right. I think, you know, some people just need um, really to develop some coping skills to manage some of that stress or anxiety of those daily circumstances. And you're right. They often don't want to go to those more painful areas of their past that you're right. They are traumatic for them. Um, and you know, I, you're right. I think it's our job to sort of work with them where they're at to figure out, you know, what does this person need right now? You know, do they just want some like help managing that stress or are they willing to go where that, that trauma began to help them heal from that? But I think also in our everyday lives and how we interact with our partners and our spouses and our friends and our family, it's this understanding that, all of us have been so conditioned to judge whether a situation is right or wrong. And that if we have some emotional attachment to an outcome, that we can't just allow people to be who they are and not try to control the outcomes of their lives. And it's amazing when we personally unhook from a judgment about a situation that a person has had, and we just meet them every day where they are, right? Instead of saying, oh, my sister-in-law is coming over or whomever it is that the person is less tolerant of, just being able to meet them where they are. It changes our lives drastically to be present in the moment. You ask a really important question about how do we build resilience? How do we do this, right? This is something that you and I talked a lot about. This is what I've spoken to a lot of the speakers about. Resilience is this thing that we can train as a muscle. And the more that we do a practice, some people use gratitude, but, you know, even this process of what we're talking about here, I use it as an example of being present. Yeah. Everything that we do each day, whether we recognize it or not, we're using our past experiences to create our future reality. Yeah. And if we take a moment to just try to unhook from that past experience and be really present in the moment. Let's use the example of the sister-in-law, right? And instead we just have a conversation with them. We don't judge the nature of the conversation. We don't carry anything into it that was causing us to have dread or, or whatever. And then we recognize that the next time we interact with them, we don't have this stress response of what our past experience was with them to create a future experience with them. Because if we're in that present moment, we have the ability to change our future behavior and our future experiences. And we don't really understand this because we're so conditioned to say, I wasn't able to be a philosopher, I had to be a lawyer, right? And so if we respond to everything in life, as a lawyer versus a philosopher, then we're changing our future to be only what the lawyer can see. But what if the lawyer likes doing their job as a lawyer and they like making decisions as a philosopher and it opens opportunity in their life? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, again, it sounds like showing, like you said, being with that person in the present and trying to provide just some some empathy and understanding as opposed to just imposing like our judgments about what should or should not be. 
I believe this and I believe this because we all need to be heard. You know, I needed to get over the story of my life that my mother chose to raise me in this rural area doing all the things I didn't want to do. I just had to unhook from that story. I was fortunate enough that she supported us through that process to be able to do it. And it, and it changed our lives. And this is a very extreme circumstance, but the example of the sister-in-law, which is a, you know, a myth, like I don't have a sister-in-law, but the point is, is that um, you can use this for just about any example. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, you, you have shared a lot of good examples from your life. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, are there any other examples of times in your life where you have been resilient? And then has there ever been t- a time in your life where you, you haven't been resilient and in, in what you learned from that? Totally. So this is a great one. And it's one that I learned recently. And I think perhaps the last time we talked, I wasn't ready to talk about this example, but I'm there now. And it is that after I spent five and a half months on the uh, COVID unit, uh, living in a hotel, riding my bicycle back and forth, being separated from, you know, my person in the world by a 3,500 mile ocean, um, and my friends that live down the street and just working all but I don't know, maybe 10 days in five and a half months or whatever. Wow. I, I came back to the UK and I stopped for a month. And when I stopped for a month, I didn't want to start again. I didn't want to engage with people. I didn't want to try to, I just needed to rest. And I realized that I had my own version of post-traumatic stress syndrome, which was just like, what was that, that I just went through for five and a half months? And it took me a long time to have some moments of self-reflection and to recognize that I just needed some safety in my life. I needed some routine. I needed some breathing space. And I needed to be able to say, okay, this is the time where I can look at what I went through was truly traumatic, right? And that I lost patience and I cried over that. And I had experiences with my coworkers and I saw them suffer and I felt so desperate at times when I would connect to family members on the phone and I wouldn't be able to grant their wish to see their parent who was dying. You know, this, this was something that was real for me. And, and so what did I do? I did the same thing that I've tried to help other people do. And I asked myself, how do I not get stuck in this story? Um, And I think that this is where the radio show came from, because I was I was offered this opportunity to create the radio show after I um, ran the video series in May. And these conversations were ongoing throughout the summer. And at some point I said to the wonderful woman who provided me this opportunity, I said, I can't talk about this. I didn't start the radio show until October 1st, right? Yeah. And then when I started the radio show in October 1st, I was like, 
Okay, let's get people some, you know, three things to do every week that can help them build resilience as we go into the winter because we don't know what's going to happen with lockdowns. And I went back to many of the speakers that I had worked with during the coronavirus to say, all right, we're six months later. Let's talk about this. Let's give some, you know, so it was a real process for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I really, I really do appreciate you sharing that because I think it is important to acknowledge that at times everyone <laughs> doesn't feel as resilient as they'd like to. And we yeah. need that time, um, to, to rest. I mean, I, I think I, I think I did share with you. I mean, I, I actually got COVID fortunately it was just mild symptoms, but I was like, I, I didn't exercise for five weeks. Like that was the longest period of my life that I didn't exercise. Yeah. And like, I would go for a, I remember one day after I had gotten done for my quarantine, I went for a 15 minute walk and my chest felt tight. Like I couldn't even go for like a 15 minute walk without feeling tired. And um, yeah, so I think it's just, it is important to acknowledge that, you know, sometimes we, we don't always feel resilient. We need to rest. And, um, you know, sometimes that's, that's just what we need in that moment. Yeah. And we must afford that to us. And this is what was so interesting about speaking to so many of the people that were on the panel that came and joined the space that you joined. And we have to use the experiences of our own life to be able to have people relate to the stories of our lives because so many the only thing any of us want is to be heard yeah. and it doesn't have to be from a big stage or a soapbox it has to really be heard from where their emotions speak and our conditioning in this society has been to not speak your truth right yeah and the truth is is that everyone is living in this repetitive stress need for safety environment. And it's every single person's responsibility to make sure that we aren't leaving anyone stuck in the story of who they were before the pandemic came, because we're in this together. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And I mean, you know, you, you talk about, you know, speaking your truth, resilience, some of these brilliant people that you interviewed in this radio um, series and video series, can you can you tell us i'm just fascinated by your your video series because you know can you tell us more about some of the the other people that you interviewed and just you know what the the video series and the radio show is about i mean who yeah. are some of who are some of i mean i guess everyone's a favorite so i don't want to use the word favorite but yeah I mean, who, who are any anybody come to mind that you feel would be you know interesting to, to talk about for a little bit right now and some of their stories of either being resilient or, or not being resilient or just, just yeah. different ways they spoke their truth or shared their story? It's very interesting because I think the first person that comes to mind for me is Dr. Deb Kern. And Deb is very interesting because when she did her PhD studies, she did everything that had to do with movement. And, um, and she actually has a movement series and she forwarded me, you know, during this video series, um, a free membership to it. And I remember being in the hotel room and doing this, like, I don't know, they're like 30 minute 
sort of exercise, they're not really exercise videos, but they're all about movement and moving emotion out of the body. And I was working on the COVID unit and I was trying to manage my own stress. You know, the gym in the hotel was closed. I returned my car rental to the airport and I bought a bicycle so that I could ride my bicycle round trip to the hospital every day because I needed that outlet. And one day I came home or it might've been before I went to work and I did one of her videos. And it was this process where you take your hand and you move it across your chest. And when I did this, I broke into tears and it was this clearing of the heart chakra. Wow. And it was so powerful for me. I didn't just break into tears. I like fell onto the floor. And it was this one movement of this clearing, and it was linked to all these other movements in science that she had studied. And the thing that everyone talked about, it didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter if it was Natalie Kogan. It didn't matter if it was Rick Hansen. It didn't matter if it was Ben Newman or Ted Meyer or yourself. Like there's so many brilliant people that I interviewed. It was this understanding that the knowledge of who we are runs so much deeper than the understanding that we have each day. And that when we have emotions trapped in our bodies, it's tied to our subconscious mind. And so if we don't recognize what is happening in our subconscious mind and we don't release this from our field, then we get stuck yeah. and it doesn't matter what you get stuck in, but you just keep layering over it, layering over it, layering over it. And so one of the most interesting aspects that I experienced with this work that Deb does is that, you know, I had always done Pilates. I had always done yoga. I had, you know, I used to run 40 miles a week. Like I've always used exercise, but to use movement in a therapeutic way, um, you know, I used to do Qigong every morning when I would wake up, and that was really, really helpful to me, um, is to just understand that we're not our brains, we're not our minds, this is not who we are. This is one dimension of who we are. The rest of us is what we feel and what is locked inside of us. And that gets locked in our bodies as emotions. And when we yeah. release them, we become more free. It's it's just like when you look at a president, I think Obama is the one that comes to mind for me. You look at this young, vibrant man from Chicago walk into the White House and you see a 65 year old man who's 45 when he leaves the White House and you yeah. say, wow, what happened to him, yeah. right? He, he, and, and you say, where's that bright light of a person yeah. that I used to see who had all this vigor and ability yeah. and, and this is what we become. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. And I mean, am, am I hearing you right when you say one of the way to, to release some of that stuck emotions or story is, is through like body-based and movie, movement-based therapies um, or, or practices? Yeah. And the truth is, is it doesn't matter what it is for you. Some people do mirror therapy. They sit in front of the mirror and they tell themselves affirmations every day yeah. other people do yoga other people yeah. do you know in covid we're taught well if you want to smile at someone they're not going to see you anyway so we're holding everything right. in yeah. 
know. you know, we're walking around with a mask. We're in a yeah. box. We're six feet from one another. You know, yeah. our energy auras are six feet, you know, and so this means that we're not even interacting on an energetic level in society anymore. And we're inside four walls and we're trying to figure out why we feel so depressed, so empty, so lonely and so helpless. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the, the real benefit of COVID in this moment is that everything is going online. So I would really encourage people to, you know, when people even walk in nature, there's something about nature that changes who we are because we are more nature than we are a cement building. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you understand what I, I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, they've even done interesting research that say like, you know, going, just going for like a 10 minute walk in the woods can increase self-esteem, decrease depression, decrease anxiety. Um, so, I mean, and these are like measured Going studies. for a 10 minute walk in Manhattan can do that, right? That's, that's it doesn't, so it doesn't yeah. have the same effect, but it has an effect and that's, it has an important effect. Yeah. It has a beneficial accumulative effect. That's, and yeah. You know, it's the sugar problem all over again. If you can't hold a plank for two minutes, great. Today, do it for 15 seconds. Tomorrow, yeah. do it for 20 seconds. The next yeah. day, do it for 15 again, you know, yeah. and, and you just do it until you get there. Because as humans, we require slow change to make yeah. permanent change. If we go on a fad diet, we gain it all back. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so is the, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of, I'm also very curious um, just the, some of the logistical and procedural ways you produced this video series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think I know where that laugh is coming from because it can't be easy. I, I mean, I, you know, it's, it, I'm just, this is just my rough approximation. I mean, there's at least, how many people did you interview? 21. So that's 21 people. So, and then I know you talked to them beforehand. So, mm -hmm. and you sent out the emails and then there's just like the technical computer stuff that you set up. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, just the actual technical and procedural and the time stuff, you know, were you ever just like overwhelmed when you started or just thought to yourself like, and I don't know if I want to spend, you know, hundreds of hours getting this ready when I don't even know what the response is going to be. Well, that's a great question. And so there's two answers to this question. The first answer is that I am a systems analyst. So like when I taught at the, at the, at the doctoral level and the master's level, I taught systems thinking approaches, right? Yeah. My stroke research is about how um, we can predict stroke in healthy populations before it happens because I approach it from a systems thinking perspective. So I don't recreate the wheel. I don't pretend to know what is the best way to do something. I find the gold standard. And then in this case, I hired a virtual assistant to help me do it, right? Okay. And I said, these are the deliverables. And you know, and then we sort of worked backwards and we looked at the schedule. That said, it was incredibly challenging to do the calls and the videos because I would literally be working on the unit and be dealing with whomever schedule I was dealing with. And I would ride my bike back to the hotel. 
I would change my clothes. I would do my hair. I would, oh, I would interview them. And then I'd get back on my bike and then change into my scrubs at the hospital and then go back to work. Right. So, so that was where the laugh really came from. Yeah. The, the other aspect of it though, is that you don't count the hours and the reason you don't count the hours. And I'm speaking for myself is because this was about my response to making sure that I rose to the occasion to help people not get stuck in their story. And so it was a joyful experience for me to give my time to this. So this was, this came from a, a place of, of service and wanting to really help people and, and give back. And I think that's also, it makes, makes life, you know, a lot less stressful and a lot easier if we can approach things of like, you know, how can we really help people? How can we bring value to other people? What, what can mm-hmm. I do to help in this situation? Yeah, I grew up very, um, not in a wealthy situation, essentially. Like there was wealth in the family, but it wasn't available to us. And, you know, I had a single mother on a farm in rural America. And, and so through the radio show, it's been such a wonderful experience for me. And I've actually stopped interviewing individuals for the radio show. And I've started to create my own content for it because I feel like there are some really, really important themes that we're all dealing with. And I get to these themes through my interactions with my online community um, for finding your holy grail. And so, you know, the video series that you're referring to that you actually were a featured speaker in is available on my website and anybody can sign up for it for free and watch it. They have lifetime access to it. Um, and that just requires people to go to findingyourholygrail.com, right? And then they click on the interview series um, page and they can sign up for the mailing list and, and that's available to them. The radio show is available on Spotify, Amazon, you name it, you know, and you can also get to all the episodes for the radio show on my website as well. And for me, this is, I need to create things for the world that they can freely have. Yeah, uh, because it's fundamentally part of who I am and it's how I feel that I'm supporting individuals. Um, and, and I don't think that I would be able to do these other pieces that I do if I, if I didn't have the opportunity to have my creative freedom to make that available, you that's, know, that that's excellent. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, um, yeah, that really, I think, speaks to who you are and just the type of impact that you're having in the world. Um, and so, yeah, you have the Finding Your Holy Grail video series, mm-hmm. the Finding Your Holy Grail radio show, yeah. um, your online website. Um, yep. And so what's what's next for you? What, what you know, I, I can't imagine you just sitting there and not doing <laughs> something next. What's, yeah. what's next project you're working on? Well, I feel like it, it's all inspired by what happened to me on the COVID unit. And so I have another video series, which is the second in the series that's coming in March. And so I have another uh, lineup of 21 speakers that I'm getting ready to uh, release. And, and I love this one because I spent five weeks with my co-creator on the Finding Your Holy Grail radio show um, creating a, a series that said goals, it, it was the goal setting series and it started on December 31st and it went through to the end of January. 
And it was literally this focus on setting goals that you can actually achieve. And what I look at it in this is what I primarily work with my clients, my private clients on, which is that you cannot set your goals that you're able to achieve unless you understand your fears, unless you understand where your belief systems intersect with what you're trying to achieve, unless you understand your level of resilience, unless you understand your blind spots, and then you have a way to do things like muscle test to get yes, no answers when they're valid, right? So this video series is featuring people that are really aligned in the domains of the intellectual, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional, which is, I mean, finding your holy grail means that you're on this inner journey to match your inside with your outside, right? That's what the whole thing is. And so I'm bringing forward people that can really help the community and the new people that will join the community to look at goal setting from a practical standpoint, because so many people write down their goals, like actually only 10% of people who set goals, write them down. And of that 10%, less than 50% of them meet those goals. Interesting. And in my work and in my research and in, and in, you know, my, especially my work with my patients with chronic disease, it's because they're setting goals that aren't achievable. And it's Hmm. not because we want them to lower the bar. It's because we want them to have greater awareness about where their stopping points are. And if we choose a little bit differently with better awareness, then we can get them the list of goals that's actually going to move their life forward by five years in one year's time versus not achieving their goals by 2022 that they set in 2021, just like what happened in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really, I think, powerful process. I mean, that reminds me a little bit of um, smart goals. I don't know if you've heard Mm -hmm. of those, but very like. Absolutely. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are so many different ways to go about it, but I find that the most powerful aspect for when we start to think about this is that we change our rhetoric with ourselves and with other people. And I did a radio show where I used an example of, I don't use the word deadline. And I don't use the word deadline because the word deadline carries a trauma response about what happened to people during the American Civil War when they were prisoners of war. And And that when we don't recognize where the origin of words come from, we don't recognize that we're repeatedly stressing ourselves. And so I say things like, I have a timeline deliverable, or I have a deliverable, or instead of, I have to do this, I get to do this. I get to create this series, you know? And I, I used to work with my doctoral students to say, like, I'm not a person that likes Mondays, right? And I used to work with my doctoral students and say, okay, well, this semester, it's all about how much we love Mondays, right? And it, <laughs> wow. and it would just be this thing that became a joke. And we were like, we're so excited to greet the week because we get to create X, Y, and Z, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, yeah, that sounds like such an empowering, empowering message. So, so now I'm just, you know, if people do want to work with you um, or as a personal coach, what's the best way to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, it's easy. You can just go to the website, www.findingyourholygrail.com. Go to the contact page and fill out the form. The other option is to just send me an email at findingyourholygrail at gmail.com. Um, I check all the emails. And um, if I need my assistant's help with that, then I have them help me. But I'll see it first. Um, yeah. That's yeah, that is that sounds that sounds great. And, you know, again, with this new video series, I mean, it sounds like this is going to be like, you know, the continuation, but also the next step to really help people to achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Um, am I getting that right? I mean, what what is the, what is this the second video series? What is your hope for that? What will people get out of that? Yeah, I think there is a couple of different things that you could think about, but you're absolutely right. The, the point is, is that I want to help people understand that when they set goals, that they, they can have a conscious awareness about where they are in the world, like meet themselves where they are, right? And if they can meet themselves where they are, so let me give you a great example, which is that um, you can't set a goal that goes against your belief system. Okay. And what we don't often understand is that sometimes our belief systems are, are tied up in our subconscious beliefs that we don't really recognize. And okay. so a subconscious belief would be, there's not enough money in the world for everyone. So yeah. if I have money, someone else goes without money. So if you write a goal, I'm going to make $500,000 this year, and that's your belief system on a subconscious level, you're never going to achieve that goal because you're going to think that you're taking that $500,000 from someone else. I see. Yeah. Right. And so bringing a panel of people that can talk to individuals about how to raise their awareness in these different areas of understanding their fears, their belief systems, their limit, which are limiting beliefs to some extent become blind spots. Yeah. Um, what our levels of resilience are. And this is why I created the, the um, goal setting on the podcast series as well, because it's really, and I think it's episodes 13 uh, through 17 or something like this. Um, but it, it literally says goal setting series. So um, people can look that up. And it, and it just gives this perspective and examples of where people have tried to achieve goals and they haven't been able to so that, so that we can all start where we are supposed to start, right? Rather than yeah. where someone else thinks we should start. Like if someone wants you to be a lawyer and not a philosopher, you're, you're setting goals as a lawyer, but you're really a philosopher, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. That that makes that makes perfect sense. That sounds very exciting. I mean, it sounds like a great combination of like practical useful tips but also inspiring people to create this yeah. vision for themselves and remove some of that, those limiting beliefs they might have. Don't you want a world filled with people that get to be happy and achieve their goals? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Exactly. And I, I, I might miss this quote, but I think one of my favorite quotes is like, what the world, what the world needs is people who have become alive, because when you become alive, you know, that inspires other people to become alive. Yeah, so that's yeah. And then, yeah, I have a quote on my website from Nelson Mandela. And it says something like, <laughs> when you um, shine your own light, you unconsciously give others yes. permission to do the same thing. Yeah, right. Uh, yes. And it's the exact same idea. And right. so <laughs> 
you know, we, I really want to be able to reach as many people as possible and support them in whatever ways are possible. And, right. and people can, you know, to be part of the um, speaker series that's up and coming or to see the old speaker series, they can just go to the website and they can get that information. That's yeah. great. And I know you mentioned it and I will write it down, but it's just people learn by repetition. So what is, what is that website yeah. again? So it's www.findingyourholygrail.com. Or Gmail, you can send me an email at finding your whole or finding your holy grail at gmail.com. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, Mandy, I know we've covered a lot today. Was there anything that we didn't cover that you were hoping to get to? I don't think so. Are there questions that you wanted to ask me that we haven't gotten to? <laughs> well, it's nice of you to ask, but I feel like I asked a lot of questions. And I, I mean, this has been um, inspiring and useful to me. I mean, I, I tend to ask the question, not only I think other people would want to know, but I want to know. So yeah. this has been really, really kind of helpful for me. It's given me some, some tools and thoughts to think about that I'll be able to use. Yeah, I think for me, the most important thing in life is to understand that we all have this inner voice and learning how to listen to it is the most challenging aspect because yeah. we, we think we require permission. And the actual answer to that issue is give yourself permission and see where it takes you. I I agree. I agree. And I just read the other day, um, you know, in A Course of Miracles that, you know, that inner yeah. voice is there, is there. It's speaking to you because it, it wants you to listen. It wants to help you. Um, so. And there's so many stories about artists and writers and painters and even presidents who they had a voice in their head and they followed it. Yeah. And then you know. look at what they created in the world. Yeah. It might, you know, and, and this is what we all come to understand at some point on this journey is that we may hear that voice and, and when we listen to it, it becomes something and it creates magic in our lives yeah. that we never could have imagined. We don't actually have to know how we're going to get from being a lawyer to be a philosopher right. and actually support ourselves financially. We just have to hear the calling and follow where it takes us while doing it in a way that we feel that we're being financially supported and, and do that in the, in the way that's most comfortable for us. And when we right. do that, it's amazing what changes. You're absolutely right. That is so well said and beautiful. I feel like that's a, a good idea to end this yeah. conversation on. Yeah, yeah, we could be here forever. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, um, Mandy, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, and I definitely um, am very excited to um, see that next video series. So definitely stay in touch with us and we will, we will yeah. look forward to hearing, hearing more about that when it comes out. Yeah. And people can sign up now. So that's fine. Oh, yeah. great. So they sign yeah. up. What is that the same website? Yeah, it's the same website. So anybody that's on the mailing list at the time that I release the page, which will be in about three weeks, will already be signed up for it. So they can oh. just go to www.findingyourholygrail.com and sign up it to join the mailing list. And yeah. 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 Perfect. It, 
Yeah. And if they want to watch the video series, they just have to click on the interview series page and then they'll have access to the Kajabi site for those videos for free um, that, that you were in. And then the next video series they'll also receive. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great yeah. to know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, again, Mandy, thank you so much for being here today. This is uh, a blast and very informing, very inspiring. So thank you. Thank it's you so, so nice much. It's so nice to see you again. And I'm glad to see you well, because I remember <laughs> when we spoke in December and it was really challenging. So yes. Yes. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, uh, everyone out there listening, I hope you guys are all staying well and healthy and we will uh, talk to you soon. All right.